Welcome to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast, a show dedicated to the storytelling that happens or should happen when practitioners purchase technology. Each episode is designed to inspire new ways and ideas to make your business better as we speak with the brightest minds in recruitment and HR tech. That's what we do. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Use Case Podcast. Today we have Shahar from uh, Stoke on today, and we're going to be talking about his business, and we're going to be talking about the use case or the business case for Stoke. So, uh, Shahar, A, uh, I hope I pronounced your name, your name correctly. Oh, you, if I didn't, you please. did it very well. You All right. Away. <laughs> Thank you. Um, do me a favor and introduce both yourself and introduce Stoke to the audience. Sure, gladly. Um, hi, thanks for having me. My name is Shahar Arez. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Stoke. Uh, my background varies uh, engineering, product, marketing, business development, small startup companies, and large corporates like uh, Mercury, HP, uh, VMware. Um, and I founded Stoke a little over two years ago. Actually, it was two years on the weekend. So it's, it's, I guess it's two years since we incorporated. And uh, we built Stoke to help companies uh, navigate the murky waters of flexible workforce, uh, which really means helping companies accelerate delivery, gain agility uh, by leveraging freelancers, but doing it in a in an effective manner that doesn't put the company in uh, jeopardy. So what do we get right about freelancers right now? And what do we get wrong about freelancers? Um, Wow, such a great question. No one ever asked it that way. Um, What are we getting right? Uh, I'll have a hard time finding it. Um, (laughs) No, I'm I'm kidding. I I think, you know, I I think if you look at the, you know, at the landscape, there's, there's a lot of companies that have realized over the last few years, they're really the, the top talent has selected uh, a different co- social contract with life. And so they're, they're freelancing or, you know, they're, they're solopreneurs or find the term that works for you. And companies have, have realized that and have opened the doors to different um, engagement or employment uh, um, methods so they can tap into that uh, um, talent pool. They can gain agility, they can work faster, they can get the right talent that they want when they need it. So really find that cadence uh, of hitting uh, business opportunities uh, when they present themselves. Uh, the challenge, what we don't get right, is this cannot be something that you do um, you know, in an unmanaged way, if you will. So um, th- there's really two types of um, attitudes that we've seen within companies to flexible workforce. Number one is uh, some companies are saying, well, you know, um, freelancers are too risky. And so we're not going to let anybody hire freelancers in our company. Uh, they're risky because of legality, data protection, workforce classification. There, there's too many risks. So no freelancers. And then obviously you're missing out on a great talent pool and opportunity and you're losing agility. Um the others are assumed they don't have, well, they still do have freelancers, but they, they're just not managed. And so which gets me to, you know, what are we doing wrong? Most companies have no idea how many freelancers they have. What are these freelancers doing? How much do they cost? And what we've seen is when we talk to companies, um, and, you know, I, I've been on the same side myself working for corporate. If you ask any CEO, CFO, head of HR, how many employees do you have? They all know the exact number. 
Ask anybody in the company how many freelancers or contractors you have. You won't find a single person that's even close to the right number, which then indicates that A, it's not, you know, anything that's not managed um, is probably not done right. Right. So what are the edges of, uh, of freelancing today in terms of, you know, what are things that we should be considering kind of easy, you know, I think of graphic design, that's, that's very easy to think of in terms of, yep. uh, of freelancing, you want your logo redone, that's, that's mm -hmm. something that's could easily be uh, outsourced in that way. Um, but what are you seeing on the bleeding edges of, of, of freelancing? What, what, what are you for the audience that's maybe not looking at that all the time? What are you seeing so, as some of the things that are there on the edges? So a, I think almost anything freelancing is becoming more and more mainstream. Um, mm. You know, if you think about it, uh, it depends which article you read, but anywhere between 35 to 40% of the entire U S workforce is engaged in freelancing in some capacity. And so this is not, no longer in the edges. And so you mentioned graphic designer, that's common. Most people think about uh, freelancers in, in a very simplistic manner. It's, you know, it's a gig project. You get someone to do your logo or your, you know, your kid's PowerPoint or anything of that sort. Um, but we're seeing software engineers working that way. Data scientists, lawyers, obviously, we've all, always done it that way. Content writers. Uh, there's fractional CMOs now. So are there people that are doing, you know, I'm a CMO of two or three different companies spending, you know, one to two days per company because they can't afford a full-time high-quality CMO. We're seeing fractional CFOs, bookkeepers, accountants. So it's really, if you think about white-collar label, it's, you know, it's across the gamut because this has really turned, you know, cloud computing has turned the world to be completely flat. I can hire anybody I want anywhere in the world, and they can perform the same job, you know, sitting at their home, wherever that, wherever home may be, or if they're on the road. And so I'm able to tap into almost any talent once I've built, you know, the, the muscle and the DNA within the company to tap into that workforce. So when the phrase side hustle first kind of came on the scene, was that something, was that good for freelancers? You know, or, or was that a, a term of endearment or was that something that kind of detracted? Uh, you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm a 75 born and, you know, 20 years ago when I was still young. <laughs> uh, and, you know, people that were freelancers or contractors were considered people that could not get a steady job. I don't know if you right. remember that. Right, it's right, like, right. you know, if you could, you wouldn't you want to work for GE or if you were lucky to, for Microsoft or Intel, right? Get a full time job. Yeah there till your pension um things have dramatically changed over the last 20 years uh a it's been the talent economy for almost a decade now so if you're good at what you're doing people will pay premium dollars to get your services um and the best talent out there today is doing multiple things uh and you know are you either starting your own company um as a startup um or you're going to work for one of the large corporates like you know facebook google amazon um, you know, get paid a lot and do a lot less and, or you're going to be freelancer and actually get your true market value, uh, which is very difficult to get working for a single company. And so I think side hustle to your question um, started off as, you know, people that had something to offer on the side and it started off being something, um, you know, 
in the shadows, if you will. I don't mm-hmm. want to tell people about it. I'm not sure how right. it's going to be considered. You know, do I need the extra dollars? That's why I'm doing this thing. But I think it was a, an important stepping stone uh, for what we're seeing out there today. And that giving the self, um, the confidence that I can actually turn this into a business. So most people don't want to drop their day job and go try freelancing. It's like, am I going to get enough clients or enough revenue? Can I actually make a living out of it? And so they start with side hustling and that gives them the confidence. It's actually a great way to get engaged into, into this operating mall. And we know a lot of these, obviously, now that we're working with a lot of freelancers that you know had full-time jobs but it kind of felt like they're stepping in the same place, working for the same company, doing the same things. Mm-hmm. And I've started taking you know, some consulting job and then a little more. And at some point I said, yeah. you know, actually from an income perspective, it's pretty decent, maybe even better. And I actually get to do what I enjoy and not do anything with things that I don't enjoy. And that turned them into you know, full-time freelancers. Um, it does, I don't think there's one, you know, one model that fits everyone. I think it's, you know, it's, it's personality, personality based. I love it. So COVID hits, you know, I think it was what, February, uh, March 13th. A lot of people kind of identify a day with it. Friday the 13th, of course. Um, yeah. COVID hits and every, now companies have to enable remote work, e- even in, in positions where they never had remote work before. Um What's been the impact from your vantage point on, on the freelancers and the freelance economy? That's a great question. And, um, you know, when COVID hit, um, no one saw, <laughs> we just finished like one of the best years in history of tech, right? But when it first hit, uh, people thought we're hitting Armageddon. Yeah. And, um, you know, the near-jick reaction of companies uh, to this situation is um, let, all, let all freelancers and contractors go, you know, um, right. keep your children close, uh, <laughs> which are the employees, and let the freelancers go because they're, they're, they're not ours. And so I think that was the near-jick reaction. Most people let a lot of freelancers, independent contractors go, and we saw that, you know, from mid-February to late March. Uh, and then a lot of employees were let go as well uh, over the next, um, you know, through, throughout, I think it was six or eight weeks. Um, but the interesting thing w- that we saw was about two months later, most freelancers landed on their feet and found their next job because right. they were they were accustomed to the situation. They knew how to get out of jobs and quickly find the next job. They were well-trained because they had to keep on their toes throughout the last years because uh, they need to get the next gig. They were investing in building their brand, their network, and their reputation. And so when they were out there and things started stabilizing, they had jobs in like, you know, no time. Unlike full-time employees that were let go, and they were like, you know, in, you know, deer staring at the headlight. All of a sudden, shit, I got a, you know, I don't even have a resume. I've been in the same place for the last five years. How do I get interviewed? How do I start? Mm-hmm. It's like, and all of a sudden, it's like you you, you start you know uh, um, you know running around the bush trying to figure out what do I do now, and so I think one of the biggest advantages that we then realized for freelancers, they uh, they land on their feet. They know how to uh, build their business, build their reputation, build the network, uh, and if you you're good at what you're doing, I'm not even talking about if you're great at what you're doing. If you're good at what you're doing there's a place for you. The skill gap is not going anywhere. 
it didn't go anywhere. There was a, a bit of a hiccup around Q2 last year. Um, and it's just grown since. And if you're good at what you're doing, there's plenty of opportunity for you. Um, and by the way, we're seeing the numbers in the US now, the number of sole proprietor businesses in the US is jump. I th- don't hold me up to the number. I don't have it in front of me. I think it was like 40 or 43% more than in 2019. Because people were let go of their jobs and they kind of said, well, I have to start making an income somehow. I'll start a side hustle, if you will. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them will stay in that mall. So from what you've you know, gathered over the last two years, what holds freelancers back? Like what, what can we do better to enable their success? Um, a, uh, I, I want to put a disclaimer there, right? Cause, cause I think one of the, <laughs> one of, caveat, caveat, yeah, caveat, got it. Right, got uh, it. Uh, <laughs> I think that, um, when I talk about freelancers, um, my field of business and where I spend my time, I don't want to say expertise cause I don't think I'm an expert in anything, uh, but is in white collar labor, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's a big distinction between blue collar freelancers and white collar uh, freelancers. Um, and um, I think that's one of the mistakes that the legislators in the US have made over the last you know, several years. And they kind of balk together and use a wide, you know, brushstroke to paint all independent contractors the same. So you're a contractor, this is what you do. If you're an employee, this is what you do. And then the legislators have started putting barriers, if you will, on who can be an independent contractor. And, you know, it peaked with AB5 in California, uh, you know, and, and all its implications. And I think one of the biggest challenges that the, the economy is going through today, uh, or sorry, the companies are going through because of, of those legislations is um, AB5 was intended to handle blue collar labor, people working for Uber, DoorDash, and so forth. But it was such a wide breaststroke that all independent contractors in California felt like, you know, we can't be independent contractors anymore. And the companies were like, we don't want to get in trouble. So we're not going to hire independent contractors anymore. And I'm talking to companies that are starting, stopping to hire independent contractors in California and in the U S and are starting to hire independent contractors, you know, across the Atlantic because, you know, less trouble there. And so I think if we want to make it, I don't know about easier, but make it more just or more right for uh, freelancers or independent contractors uh, in the United States and not just in the United States, worldwide. I think we need to start looking at independent contractor based on not just whether they get a W-2 or 1099 at the end of the year, but actually based on their income, just like we get you know, taxes based on income. If I'm a freelancer and I'm making $7 an hour or $10 an hour, I cannot be compared to a data scientist taking $400 an hour. It's not the same measure. And so we need to treat it differently. B, bargaining power. Could I have negotiated my terms with a company and every data scientist, software engineers, designer get to negotiate? Uber drivers don't get to negotiate. And so I think bargaining power needs to be part of it. So I think to your question, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of uh, mumbling here. You're doing fine. Uh, I think that the federal government and the states need to recognize that uh, you can't find winds of change. We're going to see a lot more freelancers over the next few years. 
It works great for the individuals to how they want to operate. It works great for the companies looking for flexibility. And as a, as a country, we need to support it, not put barriers on it. Yes, we need to protect those that cannot protect themselves. We need to provide social safety nets to low-income individuals, whether they're employees or independent contractors. Uh, but just because they're independent contractors doesn't mean we need to put a barrier or, um, on that type of engagement. So when, when companies first interact with Stoke, you know, I know one of the things that y'all are looking at is how do you optimize and how do you create a, a better freelance kind of experience? Um, what, do, what do companies get? Like what's the, what's, you know, ultimately you're solving a problem or creating inefficiency, uh, uh, resolving an inefficiency or reducing a cost, et cetera. Um, yeah. what, what do they get when they, when they work with you? Um, so they get a few things. First of all, um, they get a very simple answer to the question, how many freelancers do I have and who are they? It's a very important question to have. <laughs> Most companies underestimate the number of independent contractors working for the company by three to five X. Now, they're not missing a bit. They're completely out of the ballpark. B, they empower all the managers in the organization that have a need to go and hire whoever they need and the platform will make sure the company is protected, it's legal to hire them, payments will be made on time without burning all back office processes. Right. Um, we guarantee that all legal forms will be filled. We guarantee that the person getting paid is indeed payable and comply with anti-money laundering laws and whatnot anywhere in the world. We also make sure that all tax paperwork is filed in the beginning and at the end of the engagement. And we um, allow the organization um, to, to be confident that they're not misclassifying their independent contractor. The last piece, we also provide the company with a single source where they can search for talent and worry through our um, marketplace ecosystem, we'll help source that talent for them. So we'll take that job post, post it to our partner ecosystem and actually surface freelancers uh, that can do the work for them and they can decide who they wanna hire for the job. I love that because some of it's compliance and it's just understanding that making sure and there's, you know, there's f real fear around being compliant, not being compliant. So I love that. I also love just the simple answer of, you know, having a finger on the pulse of what you have outstanding as a company uh, in terms of your contractors and the contracts and the, and the value of those contracts, and the terms of those contracts, et cetera. So I love all that. When, yeah, when, I have to tell you, you know, yeah, you're talking about compliance. Most companies or most people actually cannot even understand compliance. Oh, good. Yeah. And, and, yeah, <laughs> it's written I mean, in Latin. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. It's like, have you ever read your insurance policy? Like, no, I'll go ask someone. Like, yeah. you, you can't really understand the fine print. And so, and when legislation changes and when you have independent contractors that are impacted by federal regulation, by state regulations, so I have independent contractors in, let's say, 10 different states in the US and a couple of countries in, in the EU Who's going to understand now all compliance regulations in each of these countries to make sure you comply with them? No one can do that. And so this is where, you know, you need the tooling, the algorithm, and someone to kind of say, yeah, you're kind of safe or, hey, you better watch out there. And this is what we're doing. We're giving you the confidence so you don't stop your hiring managers from executing quickly against their goals just because, hey, you know, someone needs to read the contract and we don't really know what it means to hire a freelancer in France now or forget France, in Massachusetts. 
So three three questions left. One is the typical buyer of Stoke. Um, who is that? Or, or you know, maybe commas uh, the with the titles. But what what does that person look like? So uh, we have uh, two primary buyers. Number one is what I call the office of the CFO. So it's the CFO or COO, depends on the company structure, and the GC, uh, general counselor. These are the people that are responsible. You know, obviously the CFO is responsible for all uh, um, compliance. He'll be the one or she will be the one handling all. Mm -hmm. If they get audited by an accountant, if they get audited before the next funding round due diligence, um, they're the ones responsible to make all the payments, all the back office. So they're the owners. Um, legal counselor, as I mentioned, because they need to be able to prove all legal documents are signed and workforce classification is met and data is protected because usually they're the data protection officer, unless there's CISO in, in, in the picture as well, they'll pull them in. Um, the other constituent that we're running uh, very often into is actually the heads of marketing because mm -hmm. um, marketing is an organization that has significantly evolved over the last 15 years in any marketing organization today just has, you know, a sleuth of freelancers they work with, designers and content writers and web engineers and uh, uh, event producers and webinars producers um, and, and videographers. And it's like, you know, they have so many of those and they're coming and going. They're coming and going and either the, the, the organization can't keep up with them um, or they just run behind the scenes. And most companies that we see, the um, CMOs or VP marketings have a spreadsheet with multiple freelancers and the organization doesn't know anything about at least half of them. Um, and, I'm, and I'm assuming that somewhere down the road, procurement probably is involved. Uh, somewhere down the road, probably someone in talent, uh, HR is involved as, as well as thinking of a holistic talent strategy, uh, yeah. freelancers being a part of that. Um, so I when, can tell you to your yeah, question about HR and procurement. So. HR, I'd love to see it's, it's, it's thanks for the, the tee up because I, I think HR has to be involved in the process. Unfortunately, most HR leaders that we talked to today are kind of saying, you know, we're handling full-time employees, we're handling welfare, compliance, mm -hmm. payroll. Uh, we don't really handle independent contractors. By the way, um, the latest research shows that in companies, only 60% of uh, workers are actually employees. The other 40% are freelancers and uh, service providers. And so the HR kind of says, we're not dealing with that. Um, it's someone else's problem or we're not empowered to drive such a change. And I think it's a shame for HR. If they want to get a real seat at the table, they need to start handling the entire uh, workforce composition and help the organization uh, move into, you know, what was uh, up until a year ago known as the future of work, but it's coming now and help the organization through this transition. Um, procurement, you're right. Uh, procurement, you would usually run into that in, in larger organization. Did you, they would usually support the process. They're not the target because, again, a lot of they, a lot of times they're not even aware right. that this thing exists. No, it needs to be, and they need to standardize it. So they need to be involved. Correct. For things to be, you know, uh, structured in the future. But you're right. They're not the financial buyer, but down the road, those are going to be the people that actually probably going to care the most about uh, the system so that they can see these things. And especially when it gets to standards and contracts and creating, you know, equitable, equitable situations across the organization. Um, when folks do the, the demo of Stoke, what's the aha moment? What's the aha moment? Um, well, we built the UI in a very 
it's a very simple interface, very slick. And again, a lot of the process happening in the background. So I think, I think the haha moment is uh, when they look at our, um, what we call the talents view, mm -hmm. where you can see all your freelancers in one place and you can see how long they've been working for you, what's wow. their compliance status, how much you pay them so far, all your legal documents. Um, and you can then, you know, slice and dice the data. I want to see all designers, all content writers um, in, a, in a very simplified manner. That's very cool. Then you can start building in ratings and how happy they are and exactly. how happy the people are with their work. There's all kinds of yeah. really cool things there. And we can, and we can show, you know, who has system access, who got mm -hmm. uh, a computer from the com from the company. So oh, good. all that process is fully automated. Which gets um, back so to what you were saying about data and privacy and security, et cetera. So yep. now, now you have a, for the CTOs and CIOs of the world, you now have a safeguard in place that just, gives an idea visibility and insight into permissions and all kinds of stuff. Um, last question is pricing model, not down to the dollar amount, but just what's y'all's model of uh, when you go to market and you talk to customers, how do you price things out? So um, we built the platform in a way because we have uh, significant faith in what we built and how much it helps companies. We actually, the platform itself, we don't charge for it. Uh, we're usage based. Mm -hmm. And so you pay as you grow, if you will. Um, and so our uh, methodology is based on spend level. So it depends how much you're spending on uh, freelancers. We're taking percentage of it. Um, and obviously, if there's a sliding scale. The more you grow, uh, sure. you can obviously uh, uh, find a mechanism there. Um, and, and that's what fits, you know, uh, yeah. mid-sized companies, small companies. When they get started, we're not charging them a lot. But then as you grow, um, you know, you have a little more. Um, to share. I love that. A lot of VMSs are early days uh, in the early days of VMSs. That's how they went to market. They would, they would, uh, and it was really more with procurement and specifically in staffing. Um, so they would, they would let people use the system and it would just be, you know, you get a piece of, of the action that goes through the system. And for that, you get all of these other great amenities that you just didn't have. So uh, I love it. I love it. And I love what you're doing. Um, Thank you so much uh, for coming on the Use Case Podcast and kind of telling us a little bit about Stoke. Um, love it. Thank you for having me here. Uh, it was a great conversation. Appreciate it, William. Awesome. And until next time on the Use Case Podcast. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and hit us up at recruitingdaily.com.